Blog Talk Radio. Diabetes Late Night, Glam More, Fear Less.
Here's I Would Die Without You from PM Don, courtesy of... Podcasting by going to the gynecologist. Ooh la la. To talk about diabetes. Now, if you're scratching your head wondering why am I going to the gynecologist, I can't even say it. That's how nervous I am. Uh, why am I going back to the gynecologist? I've walk- worked with Dr. Andrea a few times on podcasts over the last year. Let me tell you why. First of all, I'm a man going to the gynecologist, which I think gives me freedom to ask all those silly, embarrassing questions that some women are afraid to ask. So stay tuned. I may be asking one of yours. And secondly, I've been presenting diabetes outreach to primarily women for the past 11 years. And I have met over 100,000 of women, I think, at, uh, or reached out to them through social media and the various live events I do. And during that time, I have to say I'm acutely aware of the fact that women's hormones play havoc with their blood sugars. And unfortunately, I don't think it gets enough media coverage or enough dialogue in our community. So I hope if you're listening tonight, whether you're a man or a woman, you'll stay tuned and get some information that may help uh, yourself or someone you love manage their diabetes uh, a little bit better and maybe give them a little bit more peace of mind. Of course, it's important to do all of that with a little sparkle. So our good friend Connie Elder, who just started Peak 10 Skincare, is going to come in a little bit earlier and show us, talk to us a little bit about healthy skincare tips. So um, I'm thinking this hour is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, more than anything, it's a pleasure to always talk with my first guest, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, who helps me so much take on these issues related to women with diabetes. Hello, Dr. Andrea. Hey, Max. How are you tonight? I'm great. And you congratulations know, uh, on the anniversary. Thank you so much. And and you and I had the uh, great ple- pleasure and, and privilege for me to work together last year. And when we were thinking about coming back this summer with some more shows focused on women's health issues, one of the issues you really wanted to bring attention to was premenstrual dysphoric disorder mm-hmm. and uh, and tell our audience a little bit more about that. And then... Uh, I reached out to our Facebook community, Dr. Andrea, and I have some questions from the divas uh, a little bit later on. But first, uh, this is an important issue for women. Tell us a little bit about what it is and uh, what what women should know in our community about it. Yeah, so, you know, just women in general should should definitely be aware of um, uh, P- PMS and, and, and PMDD. Um, PMDD is... is uh, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, and there's a bit of a restructuring going on, and so it's understandably if people are a little bit confused or what is PMS or severe PMS and what is PMDD. Um, but the but the, the the really important piece, and, and we've sort of struggled a little bit to figure out 
who owns this diagnosis? Is it the psychiatric community? Is it a psychiatric diagnosis, or is it a gynecologic diagnosis? And what we're really we're re- really starting to appreciate is that it is a it's a it's a hormonal mediated mood disorder, and that's the the really the key piece. And you know some. Some women, most women will have some premenstrual symptoms, but when those become severe and, and certainly when they take on a huge piece of uh, a mood component, um, anxiety, depression, um, that's really seriously impacting um, a woman's uh, functioning in her day-to-day life, really for just the week or two before her period with symptoms improving during her period and then getting better and having at least one symptom-free week a month, that sort of um, cyclic uh, mood issue uh, really um, it needs, to be, needs to be looked at as um, something that is, is not normal and is a, is a menstrual disorder um, and that is, is being um, caused by, by your hormones and how they change normally. Can I ask you a question, though, because it seems to me that a lot of society just, you know, writes off women with their menstrual cycles in general by saying, oh, she's on the rag or she's having her period if they seem moody at all. So I would assume that if uh, that's a general reaction to normal PMS symptoms, that no one would really even know where to begin with this PMDD symptom. So would it be confusing? I mean, it seems like it would be confusing. So how would a woman kind of even begin to self-diagnose herself around something like that? Well, you know, the, 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 the key to diagnosis is there's no test that can be done. I mean, that's, the, that's the, the, one of the big problems. But the key to diagnosis is doing a prospective symptom diary um, uh, for yourself and collecting and writing down your symptoms based really on calendar days about how you feel over the course of the month. And it's looking for a, a cyclic nature to this. The unfortunate thing is women, because of this, thought that, oh, she's just hormonal she's just hysterical because of that um, stereotype uh, or also just um, in, in, in general not really physicians unfortunately not really listening to patients while well, a lot of women get misdiagnosed with um, with mood disorders um, and unfortunately get get started on some really strong medications that are that are typically um, used for uh, people who have um, bipolar disorder. So women end up getting tremendously over-medicated um, and misdiagnosed. And it's really, it's really unfortunate because the, uh, the approaches to management are very diff- difficult. And it's, I, I feel for women because it is hard to um, find uh, physicians sometimes that are, are, are really willing to listen to their symptoms. So women do have so to advocate for themselves. how do they treat it? If how do they treat it? Do they treat well, You were just saying like some of these uh, mental health medications, are those successful for women? Or it seems like, you know, especially for our audience, which is women with yeah. at risk or affected by diabetes, that would just be one more medication on top of more medication. I don't know. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, the, so the interesting thing to look at is because this is, is cyclic, what we do know is that, you know, women's, women's uh, for a lot of women, from for a lot of women, and, and so, uh, some women are just more sensitive than others, the, the changing nature of your hormones in an ovulating woman, which is a, a, a normal process that happens, when those hormone levels change, they can trigger um, chemical imbalances and sensitivities in the brain. And we know that there's interaction with um, estrogen and progesterone in some of the 
some of the stimulating hormones interacting with the serotonergic system and the GABAergic system. And those are, those are systems in the brain that help mediate mood um, and uh, sort of your general sense of well-being. And if there's dysregulation there or imbalances, that can cause depressed mood, it can cause anxiety, it can cause agitation. So one of the keys, if you have, if you have an underlying organic mood disorder like bipolar disorder, you might have flares and exacerbations related to your hormonal cycle, but you're not going to ever really have a symptom-free week per se. But when you have a hormonal-based mood disorder, you are going to feel well when your own hormones are balanced. So one of the so so the way of treating it, sort of the first line treatment, is to work on stabilizing and not allowing for those tremendous hormonal changes to happen. That sort of treating it at, at, at the cause. Some women will sort of put a treat it at the second level, which is actually treat that brain chemistry imbalance that happens. And so some people will do well on the serotonin reuptake inhibitors or the SSRIs, but not definitely not the mood stabilizers. You know, a mood stabilizer has no no place in the treatment of PMDD if that patient does not have an underlying mood disorder. Okay, so um, let's just back up a little bit from that for a minute and talk about PMS symptoms because mm-hmm. I know like 85% of all women may experience PMS symptoms, yep. but only yep. with regard to the PMDD, I think it impacts eight to uh, 3 to 8% of women with that. So uh, my first question, I talked to my mom earlier today, she never really experienced uh, PMS. She had like mild issues with it, so yep. as her... Well, I'm her son, but if I were her daughter, is my the way my mother experienced PMS passed down to me, or is is it nature or is it nurture? Like, would I be able to um, would I have would my PMS symptoms be different than my mother's and my grandmother's? Um, you know, t- typically, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm not going to be able to, you know, absolutely factually answer that answer that question. But typically, there does tend to be some familial tendencies with how 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 you do with your how you do with your 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 PMS so there can be some genetic component to it um, and, you know, like I said, because of the hormonal changes, and, and this is what we're going to, when we start to talk a little bit more about how your menstrual cycle affects uh, di- your, your, your diabetes, it's that luteal phase that is really crucial, and that's the two weeks after ovulation, and that's where the hormonal changes happen where the predominant hormone at that time is progesterone, and progesterone sort of being understood as the culprit um, for a lot of the physical symptoms of, of PMS that we feel little bit of the water attention, the bloating, um, a little bit of the aches and pains, the fatigue, all of those things are, 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 are caused by um, progesterone levels. And then, so how does, how does your menstrual cycle affect your diabetes? Um, so or can it affect How it? can it? I mean, it, it, there, there's, there's, it, it can affect it in um, many, many ways. Um, there's a, a, a very intimate relationship between um, uh, your, uh, um, in, in some women, between insulin and insulin-like hormone and progesterone levels. But all women with, di- all women with di- diabetes will have some challenge to their glycemic control, again, in that luteal phase of their cycle. So, um, you know, you start, you have your period, and that's actually the first uh, day of your new cycle. Most women will typically ovulate about two weeks later 
and then they have ovulation. At that time of ovulation, the hormones change so that there's more progesterone produced, and that's the luteal phase. And that's sort of the that's the time we all know where you know you do you can start to have um, some problems with acne and the bloating and the irritability and the fatigue. And then I would I would argue I'm sure most of your most of your listeners will notice that they have had some challenge with their glycemic control in that phase of their cycle um, where they may be, it may be subtle and the, 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 the evidence has shown that it, it's, a, it's a subtle change, but there definitely is some fluctuation and some increased insulin resistance as caused, caused by the progesterone levels. Great advice and great information. Well, coming up, we're going to be answering some of the questions our listeners had for Dr. Andrea, but first we're going to hear another cut from Pam Dawn from Paper Dolls, courtesy of Sony Music. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and you're listening to tonight's podcast on women's issues and diabetes. Later on the show, my good friend and fellow diabetes advocate, Asha Brown, is going to share her journey of dealing with PCOS and type 1 diabetes. But first, we're going to take some of the questions that our Diva Bedick community sent to Dr. Andy, Andrea Chisholm uh, over the past two weeks in preparation for the show. Dr. Andrea, are you ready for your first question? I'm ready, Max. How common is it for women to get yeast infections with diabetes? What does it mean, and how do I treat it? Okay. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because part of the workup, if I if we have a woman who comes into us with uh, recurrent yeast infections, is to uh, look and see if they're potentially uh, undiagnosed. Um, uh, diabetic. Um, it has to do with uh, yeast. Yeast loves, you think about it when you make bread, right? You use the yeast yeah. and you add a little bit of sugar to it and then the yeast grows and that's essentially what's happening in your vagina. Um, increased, uh, you know, poor, poor control, um, so increased uh, glucose levels in your, in your bloodstream, increased glucose levels in your bodily secretions, your vaginal secretions, create sort of a perfect storm environment in that dark, warm, moist area of the vagina. Hence, uh, yeast will, will, will tend to uh, uh, grow more. I mean, clearly, obviously, improving glycemic control um, would be up there on the list of things to do. Um, treatment, uh, you know, there's over-the-counter yeast medications. Um, there's prescription-based uh, antifungals that uh, you could be prescribed by your gynecologist, and there's an oral antifungal that can be used. Um, you know, adding, adding, uh, oftentimes adding uh, a supplement of a lactobacilli um, supplement. Lactobacilli is the bacteria that lives in your vagina that sort of maintains a nice, healthy pH in the vagina. That pH is what's being changed also by the by the elevated glucose. Um, adding some lactobacilli can um, help as well to maintain a, a healthy environment and to prevent yeast infections. Sometimes you may end up with recurrent chronic yeast infections, and, and that obviously, you know, you would be, um, you know, seeking care from, from your gynecologist, and they, uh, your gynecologist may, may recommend recommend some long-standing um, uh, antifungal treatments for you. 
How how about um, cranberry juice? Because it seems to me like everyone always talks about having cranberry juice, and when I look at the back of a cranberry juice cocktail, I know it's packed with sugar as well as carbohydrates. So it seems to me it would be completely the wrong thing to be having, and yet I know a lot of women do drink it as a way, as a prevention or something. So cranberry juice actually is, um, and I agree with you for all of the sugar, the cranberry cocktail, I think it would be tough to probably just take an unsweetened cranberry juice. That would be a little rough. Um, but uh, it's the cranberry juice is for urinary tract infection prevention, not for yeast infection. And it's actually pretty interesting because the, the cranberry is so acidic, um, the acid concentrates in your urine and increasing the increasing the or decreasing the pH or increasing the acidity of your urine, actually there's many bacteria that can't live in that sort of an environment. So it actually works as almost like a like an antibacterial agent in your bladder. Um, so for women with recurrent urinary tract infections, cranberry juice would be warranted, but, cert- but not for recurrent vaginal yeast infections. Okay. All right. Next question. Are early menopause symptoms related to diabetes? Um, Specifically, yes, and specifically women with type 1 diabetes. We know that women um, who are living with uh, type 1 diabetes and um, I should say sort of the, and I, I, excuse me if I'm misspeaking to your community, but sort of what we would, what I've sort of been trained as a juvenile, so the younger onset type 1 diabetes, so insulin-dependent pancreatic cell destruction diabetes. Um, those women, um, uh, because that is a you know thought to be a, a, a more of an autoimmune picture, we do see those women actually often have later first periods and earlier progression to menopause. And how early are we talking? You know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, a specific um, uh, age, but I can say that the average age of menopause is about 52. That's right under the bell curve. So there's women that go earlier and later. Um, Any time after the age of 40 is considered within the normal range to become menopausal. Um, you know, premature ovarian failure, uh, which is more common in women with other, you know, also with underlying um, autoimmune issues, is 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 becoming menopausal before um, age 40. It, it's not an absolute, right? Women with, di- women with um, uh, you know, early diagnosed uh, insulin-dependent diabetes or, you know, sort of the classic type 1 diabetes are, are it doesn't mean that they're going to have early menopause, but um, it, is, it is potentially more likely for them. Okay, and here's a random uh, question for the people who read People magazine like I do. So last week I was at B.B. King's and Sheena Easton was performing Morning Train, Sugar Walls, Strut. Well, Sugar Walls would have been a great song for tonight. But anyhow, she's, she admitted she's 57, and she was, she's experiencing hot flashes. And everyone who was around me said, that's not possible. She's too old for hot flashes. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. You know, like well, I said, it's a bell curve. For your eyes only, curve. if Gina's listening, <laughs> I, I, I was supporting her. I was alone in that, Dr. Andrea, but... And some clarify. women and women will women will you know be, go through menopause and have hot flashes and some women will have hot flashes you know maybe not as intensely but will still have hot flashes throughout their menopausal years. Wow, that's not something to look forward to. But hey, that's great advice. Now, final question before we move on: um, Do oral birth control methods affect my blood sugars? Yes. 
same way that uh, the progesterone levels, the cyclical progesterone levels do. Any form of contraception because of what we call exogenous or out-of-your-body progesterone levels, so in the oral birth control pill, in the progesterone only, in the, in the implants, in the I, Mirena IUD, the progesterone IUD, um, uh, or um, even in the injectable progesterone or Depo-Provera, all of those progesterone levels will subtly potentially increase your insulin resistance. So yes, they may, they may um, affect your glycemic control. You may see a change and you may have to adjust your, your management. Okay, so coming up, we're going to be talking to Asha Brown about her journey with PCOS and type 1 diabetes. Before we do, can you explain what PCOS is to our listeners, uh, Dr. Andrea? Sure. PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And PCOS um, is uh, essentially um, a, a, a hormonal production imbalance um, in your ovary. And women who have PCOS, the structure of their ovaries is a, a little bit more, the, the ovary has, has essentially we can look at it as having two parts. It has the follicles which release the eggs and that's predominated by estrogen. And it has the supporting tissue or the, the, the luteinized tissue which is, which is what produces progesterone. In women who have PCOS, it's as if their ovaries have a, a little bit more of the supportive tissue and there's a predominant production of progesterone and progesterone precursors versus the relative to the estrogen. So what ends up happening, that subtle Im, Im, hormonal imbalance does not allow you to ovulate every month. So you have what we call anovulatory cycles. If you don't ovulate and you don't, you don't release an egg and you don't have ovulation, you don't um, have a period. Um, but you will have sort of this subtle, low-grade production of estrogen and progesterone going along. So it's not uncommon for women with PCOS to have irregular periods, and then when they do have their period, to have heavier bleeding or breakthrough bleeding. There's also, and we don't quite understand the exact relationship, but there's a definite relationship between this progesterone imbalance and insulin-like growth factor, which then adds a component of insulin resistance to PCOS. Um, and in women who have PCOS, they will often manifest with um, uh, insulin resistance that may and often eventually does become overt diabetes. Um, to add insult to injury, because of these metabolic changes, a lot of women with PCOS have a very, very, very hard time losing weight and a very easy time gaining weight and are very sensitive to, um, to, to carbohydrates. They're, they have a propensity that imbalance causes their body to like immediately st store, um, store fat rather than active utilization of the energy. Um, and Does there's a lot more that I can in say, younger women? I'm sorry to interrupt. Does this only happen in younger women? It doesn't only happen in younger. It, it doesn't happen only in younger women, but that's when it. That's where it's. That's where it starts. So I guess yes, it does. Um, oftentimes become apparent in uh, late teens, early twenties. But some women won't be diagnosed until they're in their thirties. Okay, so I mean, Asher, we're going to bring in Asher Brown in a minute, but um, I'm just curious before we do. This, so you're saying it, I mean, research is saying that it is linked to insulin production. So how would a woman with type 1 diabetes who pancreas does not make insulin have PCOS? 
So it's not it's 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 not um uh there is a there's a relationship there but it's it's not a it's not a definite cause and effect, right? I mean, if she in a woman so like in Asher's case she has type 1 type 1 diabetes, she certainly can still have the progesterone imbalance in her ovaries. That doesn't necessarily mean that she then ha- and then she can have the underlying potentially have the uh, uh, metabolic insulin resistance as well. Like they're not mutually exclusive. It's okay. the ovarian. It's an ov- PCOS is an ovarian issue that then influences um, uh, glycemic control. Well, she's got a fascinating story, so we're going to hear about that. I'm sure. That. I can't wait to hear yeah. her story. I know. Well, guess what? First, we're going to have to play. I know Ash is probably chomping, ready to get on the show, but Ash, and we're going to play another song by Prince B. He suffered, unfortunately, a massive stroke in 2005 that left him paralyzed on the left side of his body. But he was undeterred because PM Don went on to appear on NBC's Hit Me Baby one more time, performing Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. They actually won the grand prize, everybody, uh, outperforming the other one-hit wonders, and they donated their proceeds to the JDRF. Here's another song from PM Don's greatest hits, courtesy of Sony Music. Whatever it is I do, I try to think about you. I ever love you, but nothing hides. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Thanks for tuning in tonight and helping us celebrate our sixth anniversary year of podcasting. It's time to meet an amazing diabetes advocate who founded the organization We Are Diabetes. That's wearediabetes.org, primarily devoted to promoting support and awareness for type 1 diabetics who suffer from eating disorders. Tonight she's going to share for the very first time her eight-month journey um, or health, health crisis from hell, as she called it, of dealing with PCOS <laughs> and type 1 diabetes. Please welcome to the show, Asha Brown. Hi, Asha. Hi, Max. Thanks so much for having me tonight. Thanks for being on the show. We love having you here. You know, I was so um, captivated by all your Facebook posts over, uh, I think it was like earlier this spring, you were you were really posting about this subject. And before we even start this interview, I just want to thank you on behalf of the diabetes community for your openness, because your openness and willing to talk about this issue as well as eating disorders, I think is really changing attitudes in men and women living with diabetes and really helping us elevate the conversation. So thank you so much for everything you do. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your journey with these uh, diagnoses. And I know you've had a hand, you've, you've lived with a handful of diagnoses, so you might want to kind of backtrack and tell us everything before you sure. get into it. Sure. <laughs> tell you my life story. Um, well, I'm good at, at compiling it all in a concise manner. So I, I was, uh, was diagnosed with type 1, the autoimmune version, when I was 5 years old. And then about 4 years after that, I got Hashimoto's. So I was about 9 years old at the time when I had a thyroid imbalance. And by the age of 16, I was diagnosed with a severe case of PCOS. Um, What's interesting is that I'm so glad we had the explanation of the common version of PCOS just now because my symptoms and my case presents a very different type. Um, And I've met a number of women who 
are not um, presenting the common symptoms associated with PCOS. There can be uh, uh, the common um, assumption is that these women are heavy, that they have facial hair, um, and many of them do, um, and it's awful. I mean, it's a horrible thing to struggle with, and some of them have very high testosterone levels, but I didn't have any of those things. I did, however, have a body that never really grew right because the hormones never had a chance because I was growing up with autoimmune disease. Uh, when I was about 15 years old, I woke up in the middle of the night with the worst pain of my entire life, still to this day. It felt like a monster was crawling out of my stomach. And I crawled into my parents' room screaming, and we went to the emergency room, and they gave me some Dilaudid. <laughs> and after a lot of scans and tests, um, finally had an ultrasound, and it was uh, revealed that I, at, even at such a young age, had an, a lot I will just say, of um, benign cysts on my ovaries, um, which was preventing me from starting my period and probably preventing a whole bunch of other issues, um, a lot of hormonal imbalances, obviously. So that was when I found out that I had it. And then I had an eating disorder for a decade. <laughs> so I ignored my PCOS care. Um, I never menstruated regularly. I actually didn't start having my period until I was 21 years old. Um, and then, just as it was explained before, it, it came very infrequently, and when it was when it did, it was severe. It was very long and very painful. Um, I was diagnosed with PMDD actually at the age of 22, as well as PMS, um, severe PMS. So my uh, journey with my uh, OBGYN region has not been a good one. Um, I finally, when I found recovery, I balanced out my mental state and my physical state. And I had an OBGYN who helped me. We found a, a continuous birth control method that was keeping everything balanced. So I wasn't having cyst um, rupture, and uh, my insulin resistance was under control. Uh, however, I had some bad advice from this same OBGYN last year to go off this birth control method to, quote, unquote, give my body a break. And, and uh, <laughs> I was very dubious. I did not like this idea, so I kind of argued about it. But I like I liked, I liked rules. I like to follow my doctor's advice. So I did it with hesitation. And then, I guess, to put it mildly, the gates of hell just opened up. Uh, I, I actually had a, a severely heavy menstrual cycle for eight months straight. I became anemic. Um, my uh, blood sugars were so extremely wild that I, I was crashing. I was going. I was just a diabetes roller coaster. But even more so, my hormones were so uh, nuts that I, I barely knew who I was. My husband certainly didn't want to be around me. It was really traumatic. Um, unfortunately, the care that I got from this OBGYN, who has now been fired, and I have found a new specialist who is very smart and very adept at treating PCOS cases. Unfortunately, she thought the best line of treatment was to triple my dose of hormones. So I was put on two, uh, two levels higher of estrogen and progesterone, which was a very large amount and really hurt my body, hurt my thyroid, just hurt me. <laughs> and then she also gave me the Depo-Provera shot. So I had three uh, levels in two different forms of really strong, powerful hormones that we just learned about pushed into my body for eight months straight. It didn't stop the bleeding, but it actually made my mental state worse um, and caused a lot of side effects. So 
I've never had to endure such a long health crisis before, and, and we finally had to uh, schedule surgery. I was too, really, at this point, too weak to be able to endure a hysterectomy, which is something we're looking at for a future option, um, because I can't trust pills to keep this stable forever. But I did have a DNC. It was very successful. We got the bleeding stopped. And I went back on the birth control brand, um, the continuous birth control method that worked for about five or six years very well. So I'm not back on that, and I'm feeling like myself again, and I'm just relieved. But what I learned is that PCOS, uh, when it's managed, it's, you know, it's an annoying thing, but you can find balance with it, and you can maintain a healthy weight, and you can maintain a healthy mental state. When it is not balanced, though, it can affect every part of your life, just like type 1 diabetes. So, Dr. Andrew, I mean, that's a lot of story, and thank you, uh, Asha, for sharing that. I'd love to get your comments sure. and also get a little bit of um, your um, advice about the whole, uh, what Asha mentioned about controlling PCOS through birth control. Yeah. So, Asha, first of all, you know, I want to say, um, you know, I'm sorry you, I'm sorry you had to go through all of that. Well, thank you. But thank you for thank you for sharing. Thank you very much for sharing the story. And you and you do, and you do bring up a, a you know a really good point that true. There's like sort of the classic typical PCOS, but there is this variant um, mm-hmm. where you know you don't have to have the the testosterone. There's sort of the the excess the real excess progesterone that kind of flips over to testosterone where you have increased acne and right. and hair growth and the obesity and all of that. That there's a variation of women who are very thin um, and don't have those androgen symptoms, but still definitely have, um, you know, like you said, the, the, the cyst production and the irregular right. cycles and the bleeding and all of that. So thank you for, thank you for bringing, that, bringing that piece up as well. So, That's you know, right. for women out there who are listening who have some of these menstrual irregularities, hearing about the other description, thinking that maybe they don't have PCOS, is very likely that you could have, you could for sure have PCOS. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting. I think we're finding, you know, a, a lot of um, – we're starting to ha- have – and this is a little bit off topic, so I apologize quickly. But, um, you know, we don't, we're, we're trying to really figure out what the underlying etiology is and, and what causes uh, PCOS and these hor- hormone imbalances in women. And there, there is some thought to think that there's some, some play with environmental exposures and, like, the estrogen-disrupting um, uh, chemicals um, that you know things that are that are found in in pesticides and even in in some of the beauty products that you know our 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 our, our generation and our parents have been exposed to and oh, there's wow. some thought that in utero exposure to some of these things might actually be leading to some you know hormonal imbalances in young women um, so it's going to be interesting I think in the next several next several years oh. when we sort of start to understand more of that to help maybe explain some of some of these. Um, uh, some of these 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 problems that we're seeing, um, but yeah, I mean, typically, typically the 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 management of PCOS is to um, uh, start you on an oral contraceptive, and I'm 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 horrified actually that your GYN <laughs> recommended a break um, for you because I there know, really is no reason. They were horrified. I mean, there really is no reason, and, and there really is no reason to take a break from oral contraceptive use, even if you're just using it for contraceptive reasons, um, uh, because the duration of dura- duration of use doesn't doesn't cause any problems for you. So, um, and certainly if you're on it for PCOS, it's 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 really important to stay to stay on it. But um, you know the way the the way the oral contraceptive works is that it it's protective on the on the one hand because it 
depresses the cyst production and and keeps the lining of the uterus thin so there's not this great buildup. So it's protective for the uterus and protective for the ovaries. And for women with PCOS who then also have um, the excess progesterone that starts to act like testosterone and they have the, um, there's a conversion that happens and so they have the hair growth and the acne. For those women, being on the oral contraceptive with the estrogen component increases a hormone that binds out that stuff. So it helps improve those other symptoms. Um, but it's essential because women who have PCOS are at an increased risk because of the anovulation for developing uterine cancer and ovarian cancer in their lifetime. All right, so wait, I have a question for both you, Dr. Andrea, and you, Asha. First, Dr. Andrea, what about women with PCOS who want to get pregnant? Mm-hmm. Are yeah. they able to? I mean, if like Asha just said, going off of it kind of, I'm sorry to say this, center off the rails. So, I mean, <laughs> is, is, is that not an option for women with PCOS since you're saying that one of the ways they treat it is with birth control? Yeah, so so it so it, it definitely is an option, and 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 Ash and Asher, I think you, I mean, I think you you do know and you you appreciate that you are a, a bit of an extreme, yeah. In the, oh yes, yeah, yes. yeah. That's just kind of the story of my life. <laughs> just, the um, way I was raised and born. <laughs> but it, but typically with typically with 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 um, PCOS and, and 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 I have for sure seen seen have seen women sort of suffer not not to the degree that you had, but certainly have, you know, some, some real significant um, pain and painful cycles when they go off the oral contraceptive. But in general, women with sort of like, I'll call it for lack of a better way to describe it, kind of like run-of-the-mill PCOS. Um, <laughs> these women, I, I will sort of tell them, you know, hey, this is actually one of the easiest fertility issues to overcome because, you know, what's happening is that you're not, you're not, you're not ovulating. So it's unlikely that you'll become pregnant without some sort of medical intervention, but with with usually with just sort of the oral ovulation-inducing medications, things like something called Clomid or Letrozole, we're usually fairly able to um, help women who have PCOS actually um, get pregnant. And there's actually also um, oftentimes we'll add metformin to women with um, PCOS who have a, a little bit of early, especially if they have a bit of the insulin resistance or a little bit more of the metabolic piece of the obesity and, and whatnot, that um, that actually will help regulate because of that sort of mysterious interaction between insulin, insulin and progesterone, that actually will help regulate um, uh, cycles and actually um, improve their, uh, their um, ovulation status and ability to get pregnant. Great. All right. So, Ash, I have a question for you. But before I yeah. say, uh, ask you the question, I just want to tell our callers, you're welcome to call in at 347-215-8551. You could ask We Are Diabetes founder Asha Brown a question or Dr. Andrea, who's our guest tonight, along with our skin care expert, Connie Elder, who's coming up, plus the woman behind the well-armed diabetic checklist will be playing our game, Laura Laria will be on. So you could ask any of these fabulous women or myself a question tonight at 347-215-8551. My pink phone's ringing, Asha. It's actually a call from me for you. Um, You heard me at the top of the hour talking a little bit about 
how uh, society deals with women when they're quote unquote on the rag. So you, I know from reading your posts on Facebook that you have a very understanding, wonderful husband. I'm just wondering what was, how, how did people react to some of the experience you were going through? Like, did you find that people were um, uh, comforting or did you think people were blowing you off? Did people think it was just all in your head? You know, how did, how, what was the overall reaction to some of the struggle you were going through? You know, what's interesting is that my friends and my, my, my large, wonderful tribe of DOC advocates, you know, people who just give me strength every day, um, the other members of the diabetes um, online community, they were overly just the most supportive people ever. And it, it, it really reminds me why I live the life I live now. I live it openly. I share what I go through because I have now this network of people who may or not be may not be able to relate to anything specific, but they have their own body struggles, autoimmune issues. And so I had a lot of support from my friends and my family, and I don't really understand why my husband is so wonderful. It's a little scary, actually, what a good person he is. Uh, he, uh, I mean, obviously he got frustrated, and there were extra fights in the last eight or nine months. But he was so patient, and he did reading too, and then he came with me to all of my OBGYN appointments, and he saw the dismissal that I received initially from my uh, my OBGYN that I had been seeing for a while, and I no longer see her. She's been fired. Um, so he was able to observe the dismissal of my symptoms that I missed probably about two months total of work. Um, in the first eight months, I, I, I couldn't drive on some mornings. I just couldn't lift my legs. I was so weak. Um, and sometimes my blood sugars were, so, were crashing so low, we just didn't know what to do. So the fact that nothing was addressed quickly, um, and then when it was addressed, it was just drugs versus talking about other uh, less, uh, less options that, that don't affect my other uh, chronic conditions so uh, severely. Um, it was he saw it, and so unfortunately, the dismissal and the the poor reactions came from the medical community for the most part, and the positive support and reactions came from the people who know me best. Well, that's interesting because Dr. Andrea. Um, I saw that the Atlantic website posted an article by Rob Frazler, this reporter who posted an article about how doctors take women's pain less seriously than men's pain. Mm -hmm. And so apparently it's called the Yentl syndrome, where uh, most doctors were generalizing, uh, minimize, mock, or coax women into silence who are suffering pain. And there was even a survey nationwide that men wait an average of 49 minutes before receiving acute abdominal pain help, and women have to wait an average of 65 minutes for the same treatment. Hmm. Any thoughts on that? That's just, um, you know, that I, 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 I have, I'm, I'm speechless comments. I mean, I, I hate, I hate to sort of, you know, I hate to hear that, um, but uh, you know it, it's it's definitely I mean it's it's de- it's definitely a reality, and I and I and I really hate to hear that my fellow gynecologists are um, are are dismissive, you know. 
No, I, I could understand that. I, I just, uh, I, I always appreciate your honesty, and I always appreciate that I could bring information like that to you, because I think you are uh, definitely a friendly healthcare provider. And unfortunately, that's an exception. But fortunately for all of us, you're in our community, and we appreciate yeah. that. So um, we're going to lighten the mood in a minute and play some games and meet our uh, next two guests. So. Let's take a minute, think about what I just said, and we'll hear another song by PM Dawn, courtesy of Sony Music. Coming up, we're going to meet Peak 10 Skin Care founder Connie Elder, who's going to give our lucky winner a chance to win some amazing sunscreen products. Let's meet that lucky listener tonight. She's a co-creator of the Well-Armed Diabetic Checklist and a good friend of ours. Who, um, her, she did that with our good friend Judith Jones Ambrosini. Uh, this is a list that everyone with diabetes should have on hand in case they're dealing with danger, crisis, fire, evacuation, or natural disaster. Please welcome to the show, Laura Laria. Hi, Laura. Good evening, everyone. Thanks, Max, for always. Ooh la la. Good evening, Max. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> Um, thank you for being on the show. A lot of interesting discussion tonight. I know you've been living with type 1 diabetes for over 40 years. I'm yes. curious how um, how the gynecologist and your diabetes uh, affected your life and, and what your relationship is with your gynecologist today. Well, I was diagnosed at the age of 10, and now I'm 50, so it has affected pre um, pubescent all the way now entering the beginning stages of menopause um, I, my first period was at 13 so I don't think that it was too late however uh, during the beginning of college I did not get my period for about a year so they put me on I believe it was um, Provera it was um, progesterone and then that helped balance it out that was a long time ago but I do believe it's about a year and I struggled also, Asha, um, who we do live parallel lines. At the same time, with my type 1 diabetes diagnosed, Hashimoto's was diagnosed. So we don't know which one caused what, but that also entered a lot of complications on, auto, on the autoimmune spectrum. And then throughout my life, just PMS was always a challenge with blood sugars. And I had decided early on not to have children um, with my diabetes. And then now entering menopause, it has been a little challenging dealing with anemia also because of the extension of my period that went from six days to now only four. So I've had, you know, it's been a struggle and a battle, especially now with severe anemia. Is that common, Dr. Andrea, any of this that you're hearing from Laura? Um, y- yes, absolutely, absolutely, especially with the, with the, the anemia, with the, with the bleeding, um, the bleeding issues for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. 
With my insulin pump, I have to say that I've realized my patterns a few years ago on the high blood sugar, and then when I get my period, how it crashes, Mm -hmm. my blood sugar crashes, so I always have to be careful. So that has been such a great tool, my I have the wireless Omnipod, in order to figure out that pattern to really help me kind of smooth things out. I have a salty craving, not a sweet craving, so that kind of has saved me as well from extreme highs and lows. Yeah, that's the right. other that's the other piece that I didn't that I didn't mention too with the progesterone because it can cause the cravings and if you tend to having a sugar craving that can augment the insulin resistant effect of the progesterone as well. Yeah. Um, you might you know as you're going into the menopausal transition you might start to notice a, a lack of cyclicness with that. Yes, you could sort of get to a, a run where you're going to be going not so much in that cyclic pattern and have a little bit more of a sustained effect of the progesterone. So you might notice that you, that you are challenged a little bit with, um, with your insulin, um, your, your, uh, your, your glycemic control. I don't know if yes, you noticed that is. or not. Yeah. I think it's replaced it with now um, migraines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yes, um, and actually interesting that you spoke about, you know, innate, you know, generational. My mom and my maternal grandmother both had menopause early in their 40s, so I've surpassed that, and I have no clue why, uh, especially having diabetes, which always affects everything, and, uh, you know, now it's stretched another decade. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story as well. This is uh, quite a show tonight. I hope people who want to ask anyone a question call into 347-215-8551. We'll be taking your questions. But right now, uh, it's my sixth anniversary of podcasting. And I want to play some games, so I'm going to bring in my final guest of the evening. <laughs> she's, uh, she's a friend of mine. She's helped us out so many times at Divabetic. She's She's been a part of our community. She helps me glam more fearless. She's a skincare um, expert. She was a QVC on-air spokesperson. She's the ambassador of caring, daring, and sharing. Please welcome Peak 10 Skin Care founder, Connie Elder. Hi, Connie. Hey, Max. How are you? It's great to be here tonight. Thanks for being on the show. You know, uh, this is a really wonderful podcast with a lot of conversation, and you're going to help add some sparkle to that. Uh, Before we do, what were your thoughts listening to the show tonight? Well, it's just always amazing to hear the different things that women go through, and everybody's situation in those environments are so different. Uh, one can be dealing with the same um, symptoms uh, or, the, or, or a disease, or, but their symptoms are all different, and it affects them at different ages. But, you know, we, we all have sympathy for one another, I think, as women because we all have certain things to go through, and they're never the same, but we have compassion for one another. And that's kind of an underlying thing that I see with women that I love. I love it. I I agree with you. I think that's wonderful. All right, so you're helping me celebrate my six-year anniversary. You're going to give two lucky winners a night uh, tonight. I mean, two lucky listeners a chance tonight to win some of your fabulous Peak 10 Skin Care sunscreen. Tell us a little bit about Peak 10 Skin Care and um, the products we're going to be hopefully giving away tonight. 
Well, Peak Ten Skin, we just launched a couple months ago. Um, I'm not new to skincare, as you well know. I've been in the skincare business uh, since 2005. But the one thing that we're doing with Peak Ten Skin is high levels of active ingredients, and we're elevating the skin health and hydration. And as that relates to diabetics, it's so important for this, um, the integrity of the skin to be intact with diabetics. And the way one can do that is by elevating the hydration. And that's so important. And I, one thing that I would like to mention to everyone who's listening who is a diabetic, one way that you can do that and keep your skin strong, because hydrated skin is stronger skin, is to use serums underneath your moisturizers and kind of lock in that moisture and, and keep your skin strong. Hydration will keep your skin strong. So that's one of the things I would like to mention. And then, Max, I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sunscreen as well since it is the season that we all know to use sunscreen, even though year-round is really when we should use sunscreen. Great. Yes, we are going to be talking about it. So, Laura? Yes. Uh, we have two questions tonight. The first question, if you get it right, you will win the gift. The second question, if you get it right, our lucky, our instant winner who put in a, who answered the question correctly on any of our social media will win the prize. And if you get both questions right, I'm going to twist Connie's arm to give Asha Brown the gift too. So no pressure. <laughs> but if, and I will also if I, then, if or I will donate really it to Asha. Right I will right, gladly so, donate it. Your first, uh, first you have to choose a number from 1 to 12. 9. Cindy Lou, if you're listening, you could be our instant winner tonight. Yay! <laughs> I always get excited about that. <laughs> Did you guys hear my voice? It was so tragic. I was just like, wow. All right, so, and I know her, so uh, she has a lovely, she runs a lovely type 2 diabetes community on Facebook. So, Cindy Lou, if you're listening, you could be our instant winner uh, with Laura tonight. All right, so, Laura, Yay! here's your first question. Dr. Andrea is our expert on this question. Your question features something we spoke about earlier on the podcast. What do the initials PDDM stand for, and what are some of the symptoms? Oh, um, I'm caught off guard. Obviously, pre. Um, I don't know the medical name, sorry. That was loud. Max. <laughs> All right. Doctor, well, you know what? Asha could probably answer this. Do you want to phone a friend with Asha? Asha, do you have the answer? Can you can you repeat the, the letters again? You P- said it backwards. But... I did say it wrong? Yeah, you said it wrong, Max. You did You said PDDM. Right. You meant to say PMDD. So then I thought I missed something. You mean PMDD? That's what yes. he meant, yes. <laughs> I was PMDD. like, I didn't hear this. Sorry, I yes, wrote it wrong. Okay. Uh, Laura, wait, Laura, can you answer PMDD? Premenstrual, um, it's the dye, I can't even pronounce it, D-Y, um, so it is the premenstrual um, dye, oh, good Lord. Um, again, another scientific name, so I... Guess I'm out. No, but well, it was a premenstrual. But it was a premenstrual dye something. Sorry. 
Dr. Andrea? Um, do we want to let uh, – am I going to be a spoiler? Should we let Asher answer so there's still Asha, a win? Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, we're all I'm raising game. awareness today. We're going to give the guests we're going to give the guests okay, away good. anyhow. Good. So premenstrual dysphoria disorder. And what is it again? Premenstrual I mean, dysphoria. What are the dys- symptoms of it? Yep. Yeah, so premenstrual dysphoria disorder is, um, you know, a, a hormone-mediated mood disorder, and the symptoms are. Um, uh, to make the diagnosis of PMDD, it's PMS these symptoms that occur cyclically coming on when the in the week or two before your period progressively getting better during your menstrual period having a a a, a symptom free week or a little bit more maybe and then having everything start all over again. So it's sort of this cloud storm coming down on you and then lifting up and it happens in a cyclic nature and it's because of uh because of the hormonal changes in your your female hormonal changes that cause your menstrual cycle interacting with neurotransmitters in your brain. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for that. And I, I screwed that up. So, Connie, we're going to have to allow for that win. I, I totally agree with All everyone right. as, as a judge. Thank you so much for that. All right. So here's your second question. This one relates to summer skin care. Is it fact or fiction Sunscreen doesn't expire. It does expire. Connie Elder, did she get it right or wrong? She is absolutely correct. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you very That's much. That's so much better than this sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that is awful. I, but I that do actually, love that buzzer. That actually everybody. spiked my blood sugar, that buzz. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> All right, well, let's not do that. But, Connie, tell us a little bit that, about this. So uh, does, do all sunscreens come with an expiration date, and how long do they normally last? Uh, they do come with an with a expiration date, and usually it's around uh, a two-year window. And And while that is accurate if everything is perfect and normal and it is maintained in the perfect environment that's great but there is a chance since sunscreen is usually used in extreme conditions which is you know really heat you're you're on the boat the sun is baking it along with you uh if you're at the beach the same is happening or you could be in a very cold environment i actually live in the high country in uh, colorado and so people are using sunscreen because the sun is so bright here in the mountains when people are skiing it's just when it's in such a unstable environment why risk it because the whole idea of sunscreen is to protect you so each year i would always buy new sunscreen the other thing that I would like to say is if you're actually using your sunscreen on a routine basis, which would be daily, if you're in the sun, then you won't have to worry about it ever reaching its expiration date. All right. So can I ask you a question? Do you have to treat your skin any special way before you apply sunscreen for it to be effective? No. No. Uh, the main thing that you're going to want to do, I mean, Truthfully, putting your sunscreen on is going to be last after uh, you are putting on your other other uh, hydrating products, your skincare products. You may layer makeup on top of it, and many of us use foundations and things that have sunscreens in them as well, so you're actually layering the sunscreens. 
Um, we actually have the one that we're giving away today is a non-aerosol spray, which is great because you can keep it in your purse and reapply it because it's a very fine mist on top of your makeup. Let's say oh, today wow. you're sitting outside, you know, at a at a lunch, and you end up running into another friend, and you stay another hour and you're sitting out in the sun and you didn't anticipate doing that, you can pull this out of your purse, mist it on over your makeup. Uh, so those are things that we need to really pay attention to and reapply because you can catch yourself in environments when you stay out in the sun longer than you meant to. That's smart. That's very smart. And what do the SPF numbers mean? I mean, everyone says you should have at least 15. That's what they used to say like years ago. But it seems right. to me now that that minimum number has gotten higher and higher. Well, there, that's very controversial, to be honest with you. Some people uh, think that it's overkill when you get to 50, 60, 70. Uh, it's, it's actually about how long you can stay in the sun, but the safe thing to do is to reapply because I think it's misleading sometimes because we think, oh, I've got 70 on, I can go all day. But were you sweating? Were you in the water? You know, did you wipe your face, uh, you know, with a towel? There's so many things that come into play that I would say you need to use, you know, something around uh, a 30 and just be conscientious about reapplying. That's the main thing. And the one thing that I would like to point out is, while this is the time of year we all think about sunscreen because you're – you're doing more outdoor activities or you're on vacation, but in reality there's routine things that we do like driving. And if you drive long distances to work, um, think about where your hands are when they're at the 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. The back of your hand is baking every day. So oh. that's it's so nice to put on the little, you know, mist, the spray, or keep a small sunscreen in your car. And the other part of your body that we all neglect is our neck, and that is getting sun exposure through your car windshield all the time as well. So most of us use sunscreen on our face, and we use all these wonderful creams on our face for anti-aging, but we forget about protecting our neck and our hands from the sun. So anti-aging is a great reason to use it or just slowing down the aging process or the uh, symptoms of that. But in reality, you know, it's about skin cancer. It's about protecting ourselves, and we forget about the backs of our hands and our necks. No, great advice. And we should tell everyone that they could all be lucky winners because you're giving us a special discount on Peak 10 Skin Care for the Divabeta community. Tell everyone a little bit about that. Yes, we, we really support uh, any, anyone who has uh, an, a health issue that, you know, they have to deal with all the time. So what we want to do is, is be able to give you a discount that makes it be more affordable for you to have great products to protect yourself, to keep your skin integrity in place by hydrating it, and then in the sunscreen area just to keep yourself protected. And so we are offering 30% off. It's not for a limited time. It's ongoing. Uh, and it's Divabetics, D-I-V-A-B-E-T-I-C, um, all lowercase and together. If you use Perfect. that coupon code on our website, you'll get 30% off. I love it. All right, so look, it's our sixth anniversary podcast. We have an extra 15 minutes on the show. When we come back after we listen to this PM Dawn 
song, Compliments of Sony Music, I'm going to put all four women in the hot seat and ask them a burning question I have for them. Get ready. to Mr. Diva Beck's show, Divey's Late Night. Hey, it's Mr. Diva Beck. You're halfway through our show. We've got great music by PM Dawn tonight, courtesy of Sony Music. Plus, I have four fabulous guests, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, Asher Brown, the founder of We Are Diabetes, Connie Elder, the founder of Peak 10 Skincare, and Laura Laria, who is a co-creator of the Well-Armed Diabetic Checklist. Laura, you're the first one in the Mr. Diva Beck hot seat. Oh, great. What is on the well-armed diabetic checklist that every person with diabetes should have in case of a danger, a danger uh, crisis, fire, evacuation, or natural disaster? Oh, there's a long list, but it includes perishable and non-perishable and some medical supplies. Uh, it could run from glucose tablets, your own diabetes, um, management supplies, injections, pills, uh, you can. We also have now bleach tablets, masks, um, extra batteries for your meters. Uh, in a Ziploc, make copies of all of your pertinent information, such as your ID, your insurance card, extra set of your keys for home and car, extra change, money, water, T-shirt, flip-flops, uh, sunscreen. Uh, that's just a few. Great job. Thank you for sharing that. And you can get more information on that. Uh, Where can they get more information on the Well-Armed Diabetic Checklist? You can email me at wellarmeddiabetic at aol.com, and it's 1D, so we combine the Well-Armed Diabetic, so it spells W-E-L-L-D-I-A-B-E-T, Well-Armed, so it's 1D. And at AOL.com, I can send free copies. I've sent them to some of your groups, Max, also, free of charge. And you can always just email and and ask us also. Send me the info, and we'll post it on DivaBetic community pages tomorrow. Okay, Connie Elder, the founder of Peak 10 Skin Care, you're in the hot seat. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You've had an amazing life as an entrepreneur. You've been featured in um, O Magazine on the Oprah Winfrey Show and Dr. Oz. A lot of the women in the diabetic community have dreams of being an entrepreneur. What are three tips you could give anyone who wants to create their own business and find happiness like you have? I would say first to follow your dream uh, and actually do something about it rather than just thinking about it. Start to take action. Um, Don't give up once you get started, because there's always going to be obstacles in the road, and know that uh, it's never an easy route, but the rewards are worth it. What do you think of Shark Tank? Um, I think that it's an incredible show. I think that the QVC aspect of it is very real. I've watched lots of people be very very successful. And then I've seen others that have one shot and then it goes away. Some of that's about understanding the dynamic of um, having your own business and all the 
components that go with it from a manufacturing standpoint or actually sometimes growing too fast can be your detriment. So it's it's an interesting show. It, it, uh, if you're someone who has watched it over the years, then you've seen a lot of different uh, types of products, and you've seen some continue to be successful and some that fall off the radar. Yeah, I, I love watching that show, I have to say. Thank it's you for motivating. that. I, I think you're fascinating. You're such an inspiration to women who want to get in business and have their own business. And def- people should definitely check you out, Connie Elder, at Peak 10 Skincare. Um, Asha Brown, you're the founder of We Are Diabetes Organization. Yes, I am. You're in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I feel like I'm playing mastermind on TV. <laughs> There's a lot of controversy around how the media discusses diabulimia. What is that term, and how do you think the media could be more responsible in its coverage of of this eating disorder related to diabetes? Oh, Max, I could talk about that for two hours straight. Uh, I'll I'll break it down quickly. So the, the word diabulimia is a media-coined term. It is not a medical term. And unfortunately, it is only one type of an eating disorder that a type 1 diabetic can suffer from. Um, it, it really is more on the, um, the concept of a type 1 diabetic omitting their insulin um, as a form of bulimia, of purging um, the excess calories that they might be taking in through binging. Or maybe they're not binging. Maybe they're eating normally, but they're restricting their insulin to lose weight through um, urinating frequently. Um, so diabulimia is uh, it's just a catchphrase of, of the last few years. Um, and most people I know who struggle with type 1 diabetes and a co-occurring eating disorder are not fond of the term because they're, everyone has a unique uh, section of struggles. And I work many, I would say half of my clients at least, have a different type of eating disorder, and they do not omit their insulin. Their A1C is actually quite good, but they may have a different type of an eating disorder. Nice job. Thank you so much for that. We should tell people they should, they could go to wearediabetes.org to find more about it and also follow Absolutely. you on Facebook and learn more about the support and the coaching you offer as well as your team in, who yeah. are, uh, for people who are, who are dealing with that issue. Dr. Andrea Chisholm, yes, you're back. back. <laughs> you're in the hot seat. Okay. Okay, the fr- you have a couple questions, unfortunately, <laughs> but that could be good or bad. What is a natural odor a woman should ex- can, uh, can experience? Can you repeat that? It was a natural odor? What's a natural said? odor? You know, a lot of questions I got on Facebook were all about what's my no- what is it normal for me to have an odor, I guess, in my vagina? Is it, okay. you know, and what would that spectrum of odor be? Okay, so um, the spectrum of odor can be what would be the spectrum of a normal body odor. The key is really if it's not really a, a really a foul odor. Um, and that can be a little bit um, subjective for for some women, um, but a, a a good a good uh, um, sort of starting point for that is the typical sort of bacterial imbalance that women can get. That's not a yeast infection. It's sort of the opposite of it. Is uh, caused by um, anaerobic bacteria. So this particular bacteria called Gardnerella vaginalis, and that particular type of bacteria when it when it's metabolized, creates, uh, releases amines. And amines basically smell like fish. 
basically smell like kind of like a rot, a rotten fish smell. So if you have that sort of a fishy discharge odor that you're noticing, I think a key too is if you're noticing the odor, then it may be something that's not a quote-unquote normal odor. If you're not noticing it, then it's probably of your own body and what is normal. And do douche, are douches what you use if you're oh, noticing bad, 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 never, never, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Summer Big acting through douching. Window. Douching is just a, is 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 no longer is not recommended. Um, it is really it's a very unhealthy thing to do. The the vagina. I like to sort of think of the vagina. It's self cleaning. You know, the vagina takes care of itself with the with the the healthy bacteria that are in there. The lactobacilli. Douching kind of kills off all that healthy bacteria and just opens you up to these imbalances. The best thing to do is if you think you have a, a a vaginal, um, what we would call a, a vaginitis or a vaginal bacterial imbalance, if you're having something that's problematic vaginally, you really should see your gynecologist and get evaluated. Do you have a yeast infection? Do you have bacterial vaginosis? Do you have another potentially have another STD? Um, do you need? Are you are you low on your lactobacilli? Do you need to take some supplements and get that straightened out, and then your body will 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 take care of itself. But douching is just bad because it imbalances the bacteria in your vagina. And if you do have a bacterial imbalance, the douching can introduce that bacteria up into your upper genital tract and up into the uterus and into your fallopian tubes and potentially increase your risk of developing pelvic inflammatory disease. So bad, bad, bad. No douching. Well, and, and that was good advice. That, that You shouldn't be embarrassed about that. You should be willing to go to your gynecologist and talk about that because I do think that odor, most people would be a little bit embarrassed about it, and I really appreciate your answer tonight. And I hope people who are listening uh, hear how friendly you are and know that they could go to their gynecologist with questions like that and get answers. So um, your final question, Dr. Andrea, we're, we're looking at the pages of People magazine. Gwyneth Paltrow had her vagina steamed. What is that, and why would we choose to do it? She had her vagina. What did she have done? She had her vagina steamed. Steam cleaned, I think. Like I would have my carpets, I guess. I don't know. She said she had a, her vagina. She had a vagina steaming. I meant to. I meant to learn what that was. <laughs> Has anyone you ever know, come in and requested? I read something I, about this. I, I remember. Re- oh, go ahead. Yeah. No. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. I read this article that there's this new. It's a kind of a holistic thing, and you put different twigs and herbs and stuff in a, in a hot, you know, pot of water, and then you get a little squat uh, chair and you steam, you just sit over it. <laughs> you sit over the steaming pot. Like, you know when you have a sinus infection and you steam your face you put over the pot? In it. <laughs> yeah, okay, so here, I'm looking at, I'm looking at this yeah. now. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm doing my, you know, usual medical research here on Google. So I have Google yeah. vaginal steaming. And I'm doing visual imagery, so I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 can, I could potentially um, – now, the thing is, is anytime something's been around Chinese medicine-wise and things have been around this long, I, I mean, I do think there is some, some, some worth in looking at it, right? Because these things wouldn't have been around for so long if they didn't hold some, some potential – preventative medicinal quality to them. Now, the thing that's interesting to me is that the vagina is a mucous membrane. 
It's all a mucous membrane. Just like the inside of your mouth is a mucous membrane. And mucous membranes are some of the most permeable. I'm sure um, we can talk to this. It's some of the most permeable, um, uh, meaning that things pass through it very easily. So, you know, just if you're steaming, like for your nose, the nose is a mucous membrane. You bring the, the herbal, the, the eucalyptus or whatever you're using to sort of decongest and absorb through that mucous membrane. I can see how potentially what's happening here is that these medicinal Chinese herbs are actually kind of going into your bloodstream via your vaginal mucous membrane. That's so how you could add some it science to that. Could be beneficial. <laughs> um, I, 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 I can't. I don't. I can't comment with any sort of scientific evidence behind it, but I could just. I could just, you know, say on the one hand, I mean, we do know that there is that there are are, are some um, medicinal benefits from Chinese herbal medications in teas and in aerosolizing. So perhaps I could say maybe this is just another route of administration. Okay. And Connie Elder, you're from the beauty industry. I mean, apparently Quintus Beltro did go to a spa. Have you ever seen this listed on any of those uh, swanky spas out in Colorado? Uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, then they keep it private. Who knows? Exactly. It may be coming, though. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best answer. I love it. Okay. Hey, oh, my gosh, I'm being put in the hot seat. Uh, hot seat. I can't even speak anymore. Um, here's a question from someone from Facebook. Max, did you have a good time going to the gynecologist? <laughs> of course I did. I love going to the gynecologist. Look who I met in the waiting room tonight. Um, Actually, I feel like uh, I, I have to thank Dr. Andrea for always being, I said it before throughout the podcast, you're so friendly and upbeat. I feel like I could ask you any question. And I hope people who are listening take that with them when they go to see their gynecologist, especially if they have something that's embarrassing or confusing, like uh, Asha explained her diagnosis, and, and find someone like you that could really help hold their hand and lead mm-hmm. them through that. And Asha, thank you for being such an incredible advocate and showing everyone through your life story about how important it is to be your own healthcare advocate and to stand up for yourself, even when in the storm when everyone seems crazy out there and isn't listening, that you actually tonight, I think people hearing your story, heard how you stood up, and now you're in a much better place because of it. So I hope people listening to Asha raise their voice and also check out her website. Uh, Laura, I have to thank you because you kind of um, succinctly told the story of my period through living with diabetes, and as long as I've done DivaBetic, this whole issue around menstruation and diabetes and menopause and diabetes and everything else has so many women confused. They don't have any information on it. They don't know who to talk about it. And the way you talked about your journey for the last 40 years and kind of went through your menstrual cycle as well as your diabetes and made that connection, I think a lot of women are going to hear that and be comforted and think they're no longer alone, which was the um, goal of this podcast. And Connie Elder, I just... Thank you for always helping me glam more, fearless, and making it fun to go to the gynecologist and giving great products uh, and services to our community. And also, on a side note, thank you so much for raising awareness around domestic violence uh, for women and men. Uh, I just appreciate that so much because that's another subject that's close to my heart. 
So all the thank yous to all my guests, and of course I want to thank my listeners tonight for tuning in. Please subscribe to the DivaBetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit DivaBetic Facebook pages because we're going to be um, posting the well-armed diabetic checklist. And check out my videos on Mr. DivaBetic's YouTube channel. I'm actually going to be putting on the fruit suit and going to a couple um, outdoor uh, what are they called? I can't even think of the word. I'm, I'm, uh, farm markets later this summer. And join us next month for Diabetes Late Night in August. We're going to be talking about anger issues related to diabetes. That's Tuesday, August 9th. Until then, remember, every dude and every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close this podcast by playing that big hit by PM Don one more time. And hopefully when you hear it, you'll take a minute to keep your house a home and protect your family from a diabetes health-related complication.
this for you. 